Hello, and welcome to The Unique CPA with your host, Randy Crabtree. The goal of our show is to keep you at the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insights, and advice. The Unique CPA podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is Dan Choden. Dan's a partner with Trout CPAs out of Pennsylvania. I got that right. Pennsylvania. That's correct. Right. All right. On the website, Dan's listed as serving on the uh, firm's auto dealerships and manufacturing practice groups, which I'm sure are extremely exciting. Um, but what we're really going to talk about today and what I know Dan as is the employee retention uh, uh, credit Twitter king. And <laughs> and so um, between his Twitter uh, uh, expertise with ERC and my webinars, uh, um, I, I think we're going to be able to geek out about ERC here quite a bit. So Dan, welcome to the Unique CPA. Glad to be here. It's a pretty interesting, uh, well, at least I know you probably feel like it, I do. It's just a pretty interesting subject and a pretty interesting uh, time we've gone through with the employee retention credit. Before we get into that, then, let me ask you about, were you dealing with the employee retention credit from the start, from the CARES Act, or did you start with the Consolidated Appropriation Act? Yeah, we touched it from the start, but as you know, as I think most listeners this probably know, until the Consolidated Appropriations Act, it was just ignored. Right. right? We, we looked at it. We looked, ran the numbers. PPP made more sense than ERC almost entirely. Right. Right. So we, we knew it, but we didn't really know it until we had to. So that was what really changed. So I got sucked into that early on, uh, had, had the PPP aptitude of, all right, we need someone to, to deal with this, someone that's going to sink into time. So then when ERC came around and it was so joined at the hip when it opened up to everybody, December 2020, that law passed, boy, you know, we really had to hit the hit the ground running. And it wasn't really a choice for me at ERC at that point. PPP yeah. kind of just pulled me right into it. We, right. You can't start from square one without knowing the PPP program as well. Right. So you were the firm's expert on PPP then uh, originally? Yes, we had a we had a small team just for all COVID relief. So there's other grants, right, and the other programs that we're working and assisting clients with as well, but of course the big one was PPP. Oh yeah, for sure. So before the Consolidated Appropriation Act, I mean, do you know how many ERCs you had done? Was it a handful or was it more than that? I myself, I don't know that I had t actually touched them, but firm wide, I, it was it was less than a handful. Yeah, you know? it, it had to be just three or four. So uh, just unique circumstances, and that's that's what made sense for them. So yeah, it, it was amazing to see the difference and a lot of the mess created and how that retroactively changed. Oh yeah, uh, really yeah. just overnight. So then when you heard about the change, is this a firm-wide, you know, somebody was reading the new law and, and bingo, this just changed? Or how did you hear about this change in ERC? Well, I mean, you brought up Twitter. Tax Twitter is really just phenomenal and had been on kind of the cutting edge of so many of these changes all throughout the pandemic, yep. the PPP guidance changing, you know, planning around that, all the pieces as they would come out, those interim final rules are going to give us PTSD for years to come and those Friday night <laughs> drops of guidance. And, and so it really all the tax law change then uh, th those came as well. And they'd really be ahead of that looking at drafts. So I'd, I'd be amongst that group of people just combing through the draft legislation and a different draft would come out and then you'd see what it was there. So it was, it was probably mid December, I suppose when 
it sort of became clear, wow, there's a big, important change in this appropriation bill. And it took a while before it actually became law. But as some of that legislative text came out and it's being parsed out there on Twitter, that's that's really uh, where it became clear. And, uh, you know, others, I, I feel like probably the general population of CPAs or just many advisors in general, by the time that bill was out and things filtered down, there was a busy season there right. into January and the rest. So, so most probably didn't really get going from it from the start like some did, right? right? And a large majority probably wasn't until the summer of 21 before they, they really dug in. So, and we did, you know, even, even our team didn't really gear up fully. You know, we started filing them in January, but uh, it was a trickle and then it became a, a fire hose as time kept going on and we accelerated. But yeah, I can't say enough about some of the smart minds out there uh, on tax Twitter, looking through the bills and draft language, parse, parsing it out and, and just being ahead of things sharing ideas. That's been fun to be a part of for the last couple of years. And, um, you know, you say that I'm, I'm leading the ERC there on, on tax Twitter, but I think I'm just the one that rants the most about it, perhaps. There's <laughs> plenty of people that are far more intelligent than me that participate there as well. So who are some of the other people that uh, were early on with that tax Twitter and ERC? And I can tell you where I heard about it, but let me let, me let you go first on that. Oh boy! I mean, there's there's almost too many names, too many names really to, to mention. But uh, I, you know, there the groups and everyone that was was looking at it. You know, we'd have some that are just posting everything as it comes, and others that are digging through in one area or another. Right. So I, it it just comes from from all from all aspects. There's there's hundreds, and then even beyond that, there's plenty more that don't participate but are just following and reading. Yep. So yeah, there's 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 a great mix there. There's sole practitioners that uh, are all over tax Twitter, but then there's, there's even large top 10, top 20 firm uh, employees and partners that I've interacted with and had communications through that. So that's, that's been pretty interesting to see, especially as uh, I've had some more complex areas come up, ones that might touch multinational aggregation for ERC, these, these issues that don't necessarily hit the smaller firm levels. I wasn't seen, but all right, I reach out to, I, I know this person here at a larger firm has dealt, dealt through these. So it's been been interesting to see the opportunities and connections you can make uh, through a platform that I would not have envisioned before. Oh, I know. Exactly. I mean, it's the, the number of people that I've met and actually just the opportunities that have come to me, not even related to ERC, but because of ERC, you know, have been uh, have been insane. And that, so, just real quick, I said I'll, I'll let you know. I wasn't ahead of it, December fifteenth timeframe, like you looking at the draft. I was actually uh, uh, my wife and I went and worked remote in South Padre Island, Texas, in the early January, and I was on a conference there that Tony Nitty was speaking at, and he started speaking about these changes to ERC. And it just was like, I was immediately hooked. I was like, I got to find out everything I could possibly. And this was maybe January 7th or something. So I was, you know, 10 days late to the party after the changes happened. But when he started saying this, I just couldn't get enough. I just dug in. I was reading everything. I was analyzing. I was looking at the, the, the legislation. I was looking at anything that came up. And at that point, personally, wasn't even sure we were going to make this a service offering. It was just something I'm big on education. It's like, well, if I can know all this and I can educate people, I think this is an important topic. I, I, you know, you could look to the future and see this is, there's a lot of businesses that are going to qualify for this. So, you know, 
I don't think I've ever talked to Tony Nitty. He probably doesn't know who I am, but thanks, Tony, because you really uh, got me going on uh, down the road of this. So that's where I started on ERC. He's one of the greats for sure, uh, and one one of those that really got Tax Twitter going long before I found it. <laughs> I think I might have actually found it through him even mentioning it in an article of his for Forbes or, or something to that effect. Yep. His uh, thoughts and some of the writings on, on ERC and digging into the changes long before the later guidance came out, right? Digging into the statutory language and being ahead of things. Yep. Constantly impressed by that guy. Yep. I, I, I don't think I could, you know, I can take one subject and dig into it. I mean, not the overall federal tax code updates that he's constantly doing. And uh, yeah, that would be the man that'd take a lot. All right. So that's the origin story for, for ERC, how you got involved, how I guess a little bit of how I got involved. We don't need to talk about what the ERC is. There's enough information out there. What I think would be interesting to talk about is we know what ERC is, at least you and I probably better than most people in the country. Unfortunately, there's a ton of misinformation out there on this. It, it is daily I get misinformation, and I hear horror stories about people taking credits that shouldn't. So, you know, do you have other top 10 or top three or top <laughs> five pieces of misinformation that you just get so frustrated with and are dealing with battling against constantly? Absolutely. We could we could probably spend the rest of the afternoon here just going through. And the more we talk, the more we're going to remember yeah, oh yeah. some some new nonsense. But yeah, I, I'd love to share some of that. I I, I uh, am probably over conservative at being the accountant that I am. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not going to be out there uh, doing doing things that are going to keep me up at night. Uh, I share that with with clients I work with on this. Yep. But the longer I spend around the program the less gray it seems, right? When you first start looking at it, all right, there's there's all this opportunity, you know, who really knows? But the more guidance that came, the more you see the examples, the more you dig into the, the text of the law and apply it to examples and, and see how this actually impacts the real world, the less uh, it seemed like there's there's all this wiggle room and, and you can do whatever you want. So I right. certainly, certainly run into a lot of different nonsense uh, in that regard. Uh, I know I had shared with you. We spoken previously. Uh, one of these, one of these was so intriguing to me that I put a lot of time into it to try to say, "All right, this is this is amazing. If this works, I, I need to know about it. I need to use it for my clients. If this argument holds water, uh, this is amazing." And so I ended up writing an article about that. Yep, you're going to talk about the OSHA uh, rule. So, yeah. so just so, to let you know, I've used your information in my last two webinars, and I've I've uh, I've quoted you. I haven't said this is from me. This is from Dan <laughs> Choden. The article he wrote in Beyond. What's it called? The the magazine you wrote this for? Yeah, think outside the tax box. Thanks, uh, contributing there. So yeah, I had a lot of fun digging into that. Got real excited about it, but pretty quickly became apparent that this unfortunately is just a, a better dressed up version of a lot of the nonsense that we see and, right. and aggressive positions being taken, unfortunately. And it's not that I don't want to help clients. Right. I, I also have an article on there where I'm talking about all the unique ways we can qualify. You know, this, this program is still hiding in plain sight oh, yeah. in so many different ways, but boy, I, it, you see some of this stuff and the sad part is clients don't know, no, don't know better. They, they hear that they're talking to a professional. They hear, audit risk guarantees right. and they think they're just fine and 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 it is a complex program there's no doubt about it so that creates this confusion and and a lot of CPAs that might not be well versed in it can't 
necessarily say otherwise. That's, that's what I was trying to ho- accomplish with that article was just give some some ammunition. If someone's looking for this topic and sees this argument, they'll they'll hopefully find that and, and realize that, oh, there's there's not much there once we pull back the curtain. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you want to give a, a couple minute recap of what you found. You know, people were trying to make the argument that OSHA had to follow, was following CDC guidelines and mm-hmm. OSHA has a general duty clause where you have to keep employees safe. And then yeah. bottom line is, you know, this is I can let you give the recap, but it doesn't work the way people were saying. Yeah, it, it, it unfortunately doesn't. So that the bottom line of the argument became every business in the country was going to qualify for ERC if this thing worked. So. A tremendous result if we could get there, but unfortunately, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it it often is, and that's that's what I had to go down this rabbit hole to figure out because I got this this argument put in front of me, very well laid out, uh, a lot of information. It's the sort of thing that a, a client might feel very comfortable about, or even many advisors just wouldn't wouldn't have the knowledge or the the bandwidth to dig further, and so it's a, it's a tough one. But yes, the core of the argument gets to the to the point that everybody qualifies simply because there's a restriction on everybody. And these guidelines that OSHA puts out make the CDC guidance mandatory. And that, that's that's really the whole thread of this because because these federal agencies are requiring all businesses to follow these certain rules then everybody has this suspension and qualifies for the suspension test for ERC. So it's a it's a very creative argument. I got to give very high points for creativity and yep, being yep. well laid well laid out and and uh, and trying to do these these things. But it ends up being a lot of window dressing. Unfortunately, this OSHA argument it doesn't hold up, and and in large part just because you don't have the effects that you need. So in, in order to have any suspension rule work, there's there's got to be two things that apply. You got to have first an actual government order, right? We, we can't just have this that is just because we, we decided to shut down, right. right? We have to shut down something because of a government order due to COVID. And so that was where this one falls apart. And I go kind of into the details of why that, why it's not a qualifying order in my article, but it's not. And then beyond that, you got to have a more than nominal effect. So I always like to tell people just the silly example of our you know, fairly good sized accounting firm here. Well, we were not shut down. We could work remotely. But what about if our accounting firm also operated a lemonade stand by the side of the road? And this is a service business that would be you know, yeah, food that was not allowed to operate. All right. That is absolutely shut down. Lemonade stand can't operate because of COVID for a period of time. Does that then mean the whole firm is shut down? Well, of course not. That's a silly example. It's we're, we're selling a dollar lemonade right. cup. All right. It's it's not a more than nominal effect, right, is where the guidance goes on this issue. So, yes, maybe if our firm also owned a full-blown restaurant that was shut down, yep. that could achieve those metrics that are there. And, and you, you go through those steps, that safe harbor they give us. But- you have to have an effect and you have to be able to show that it's more than nominal yep. on one hand and show that it's related to a government order. And so even though we had one of these most well-dressed arguments, OSHA, CDC, federal, everybody gets it. Great thing. If you're a salesperson pushing the argument, it's great. Everybody's a customer. Yep. I, I get the desire to, to get to a result like this. It's just, just didn't fall into what actually works, unfortunately. So 
So that was an interesting one. I mean, there's plenty of others. That was certainly the most involved, unique one that I've come across. There's plenty of others you know, that we could get into. I'd be curious, maybe maybe something that you've seen as well. Yeah, so so a couple of things on that point. One, just misinformation or, or um, confusion. When you just talked about the more than nominal effect, in which is a 10% rule, you know, this restaurant that now Trout owns, was that more than 10% of my 2019 revenue overall between, you know, the CPA firm and the restaurant? That's a not more than nominal portion of your business. The confusion is people think, oh, my client had a 10% drop in revenue. And so it's more than nominal, so they qualify. I go, no, 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 that's not how it works. We have yeah. to look at the segments of the business and see if there's a segment that we can pull out that exceeds 10% of your overall revenue. And your example is great. You're a CPA firm and you own a restaurant. Was restaurant more than 10% by 2019? So that's confusion. And the, I shouldn't say the funny thing, but I, I was just doing a webinar last Friday and did this, I thought, really good example on how you know more than nominal can come into play. And the very next question that came up was, oh, my client had a 10% drop in revenue, they qualify. I go, no, 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 segments. <laughs> Let's look at segments of the business. So it's still confusing. And that's why you know, it, you know people still need help. And that's why they need help from people like you and people like us that are going to do this right, because we're going to take credits that exist and not credits that don't. Yeah, so. Yeah. To your next question, then, some horror stories that I've seen. There's been plenty. <laughs> One that was really interesting, I had a, uh, a firm that was an engineering firm, civil engineering, actually. And they were being promised about $4.5 million of credits. And the reason was, well, if Best Buy qualifies, you qualify. <laughs> Like, wait, what? Where's the, how, I don't see how, I, I didn't see that in the tax code that said if Best Buy qualifies, everybody qualifies. <laughs> and so that was just a little bit, and, and, you know, I'm getting this secondhand from the client. So, you know, it may not have been exactly what they were told, but we had another one just last week. And you know how this works. You do math, you figure out the credit. Well, this firm had nine employees. The math never comes out, you know, the potential credit for nine employees is, is what, maybe 240000 or something like that. Uh, or if they qualified the entire time and, and everybody yeah. you know, qualified at the max, they were being promised $4 million of credits for this nine employee business. And so it's just crazy. And, and part of it is just, I don't know, greed, I guess. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. There's people that are pushing the credits that are probably based on greed. And the clients are are like, if you said, the clients are expecting this person to come to me to be a professional, to be knowledgeable, to understand what's going on. They told me I qualified. They're the experts. So I'm going to do this. And that's the greed part. The clients aren't the greedy ones. The clients are relying on things. And so I get really frustrated with this people promising credits that don't exist. Yeah. How about you? You got some interesting ones? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. I, the difficult part becomes the client that sees the next person, you know, their buddy business owner. Oh, or this other guy. I know he's in the exact same line of work, similar size company. He just got his money. But you said I didn't qualify, Mr. CPA. Yeah. What's what? Why, why can't you figure this out? My, my friend figured this out. And of course, you know, you and I know there's there could be any number of problems going on. Yes, you think the guy that you know from the golf course or that operates in the same industry 
has a similar set of facts, but maybe his facts are different. Right. Maybe he really does qualify. I don't, I don't know that he went to, you know, some pop-up ERC shop and has a fraudulent claim. Right. You know? right. That, that could also very well be the case. I, so I don't know all the other things that could be possible to this, but I know your situation and we've gone through in detail and here's why you don't qualify, but that's, that's such a difficult conversation. And I've had, I've had some of those, you know, we've dealt with our own clients and helping them through this program, but uh, there is so much marketing going on and it'll continue now. You know, we have another another three years really of statute right. to be filing these refund claims. So it's not going to go away anytime soon. These marketing pushes are going to be out there. And so we're going to keep getting these questions. You know, how did they get it? And I didn't. And, you know, why doesn't this work? And uh, a large chunk of that is unfortunately just bad claims yep. that are happening. And I've I've seen some. You You brought up a great thing from your from your conference there of the 10% rule being, being confused. And it, it seems like that's exactly what happens in some cases. There's all these, it is a complex program. There's all these rules out there that then it seems they've been synthesized and mixed together yes. just to get whatever the desired result is, you know, to, which of course the desired result is a credit and a credit that an advisor can, can then charge a fee for. So the, the one that was a horror story recently was, that yes, we we know client that you were not shut down. Okay, well, we know you didn't have a revenue drop. You grew. Okay, a third party comes in and and looks at the business and and wants to qualify them, and of course the owner is very interested. Lots of payroll, lots of employees. They say, sure, all right, tell me tell me how I qualify, and they share a template with us that says break down your business into uh, at least ten percent segments. Break it down however you want. So far, so good. <laughs> Until then, the next part of that template says, all right, now if any of those segments drop by more than 10%, <laughs> that's what we're looking for. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. We've mixed we've mixed our metaphors. Right. We're not getting there. We're looking at one rule that should be suspension test, measuring your business side, and we've mixed it with a revenue drop. Right. And there is no 10% revenue drop anywhere. So, uh, again, it's a unfortunate mix of of things that are going on out there and a lot of confusion a lot of unknowns and it unfortunately is just too p- complex of a program that even the, the the professional community that is trying to do the right thing can't always sort through all the weeds of these things right and would have a hard time if a if if someone's coming up with oh here's the claim i did they, they may not be able to recreate well was, was this legitimate or not so it becomes a difficult position. And that one recently was was a good example of that. Somebody just threw rules into a blender and right. got whatever best result they wanted out of there. Yep. And there's been things that was more guidance that have come out. And in reality, you know, the guidance is there from the beginning, really. You just have to dig deep into the tax code. But when we get IRS interpretations, um, obviously, then, you know, their notices give us more information. And one of the things you were on top of earlier than I was, was the whole more than 50% owner wages not being able to be used in the calculation of the credit. And to me, I think I knew it, but it just didn't make sense to me. <laughs> it was hurting the mom and pop business. And, yeah, and yeah. It, you know, it was more like, well, why would IRS do that? But it, they weren't. Congress set the rule. They pointed at the tax code and tax code said that. So I think you were one of the first that, that basically said, no, this isn't going to work, right? Yeah, that's that's a part of the claim to fame, I think, around ERC for me uh, was just pushing this. 
But honestly, I got to blame one of my partners here at the firm who just who kind of grilled me on it and said, Dan, do we really understand these related party rules? Wait, what, a, yeah. what about this? You know, this language is confusing. We, we really need to make sure we nail this down before one goes out the door. And now, now he doesn't even remember that. He's just one of these guys that gives good <laughs> ideas all the time. And unfortunately, this one ended up with an unfavorable result for everybody. But I agree with you. It's, it's one of those that doesn't make sense. It's the tax code caught in itself. Yep. And when you follow the, the text of what it is, it's there. And the IRS didn't deviate from it. it, it it's a tough one. It, it's one as I stand back and look at it, you kind of understand that they couldn't unravel it. Yep. Yep. You know, short of a legislative fix, they couldn't they couldn't look at it and say, "Well, we're going to ignore it for owners, but not for others." You know, how do you how do you use part of that code as it is without ignoring the whole thing to get the right result everyone was asking for? You know, you just got to eliminate all related party limitations to get there. So it was a tough spot they were in for sure. Something that you know didn't exactly make me popular as as others you know, <laughs> were disagreeing all along and some that still push against it and still say oh yeah that this this is okay or or any claim filed up until last august when the the IRS guidance put a pin in it they say oh all the claims before that are still fine and i i just scratch my head and that is is what it is uh, unfortunately it, it wasn't it wasn't exactly a a beneficial issue but a, it was an issue that i was just I was just glad to be able to dig into and and we were actually filing them right because if I if I hadn't been the one to dig into it then it would have just been somebody else yeah I'm sure it would have came out all the focus on this uh, that happened uh, it would have it would have came out there that was that was back in February of last year that really got pushed to the forefront then so yep one way or another I'm sure that issue would have came. So when did the what notice did their interpretation come out? Was it twenty three or twenty twenty one twenty three that they clarified the owners, or was that forty nine? Uh, that was the forty nine. Yeah, that was the August. Okay, that's, the August guy. So that was late in the year. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I, everyone, everyone's got their hands up and saying, "Well, the IRS, you know, they didn't. They this had this had been out since the CARES Act in March, and how did it take them this long?" And and okay, yes. I, I get that. The the thing I, I'll always say in response is just they didn't know this was an issue. <laughs> so so there wasn't guidance around it right. until it became an issue. And the AICPA there at the end of February then as it as it exploded in the tax professional community of what do we do with this? Is this this can't be right, you know. Right. Cause there had been we'd been claiming owners before that. There hadn't been any push to question it before then. So it wasn't until the AICPA raised that issue then for the community. And I think it was a February or early March letter that they asked for guidance. So I look at it and say, well, hey, this was the IRS. And so from March to August, they got that guidance out. Actually, that was probably one of the, the quicker turnarounds <laughs> we've seen out of the IRS in recent years. Um, well, yeah, you and I have seen their processing times on the ERC, and, <laughs> and that's much slower than that that took them. So. Indeed, 941Xs do not do not turn around as fast as the guidance did even. so. And, that, and that's what we were seeing, you know, nine months at the beginning. Uh, our team that deals with 941s have told me they've seen a little bit of a, a truncation of that time. Are you see them come quicker now after tax season, I think, probably? A, a little bit. It, it's not perfectly consistent. Uh, I've heard through the grapevine that those over six figures get held for further review and are slowed up. Yep. And we've been estimating originally like a four to six month because it was always two to four for paper returns prior to code. Well, I said, well, four to six months since we have no idea. Right. And very quickly that became 
well, it's six to eight is really what we're, we're seeing uh, in reality. We did break a record, though. There was one filed early this spring that was a two and a half month turnaround. So I don't know how that sneaked through, but that's pretty good. Yeah, there seems to be no rhyme or reason on these, except like you said, the hundred thousand and above. Yeah. And we heard the same thing that they are going through a secondary review. So yeah, we have some that are coming up on a year, uh, which are unfortunate, right? Uh, but I've tried to tell clients, hey, brace, brace for up to a year, even in these cases, yep. to just don't don't go spend the money until it arrives, which is unfortunate. You know, it's really supposed to be relief money, so it's sad that this is the process that we're stuck with and the slow administration. Right. So it's a bit unfortunate that the toughest part of that too is you're kind of helpless. You can you can see what the status is if it's been received or assigned, but there's nothing a practitioner can do to expedite, right? You got the eight, the form eighty eight twenty one or whatever where you can you can go in then and 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 look at yeah we're doing the same thing. So we're at a minimum saying that if it's not if we don't see receipts in four months and we were told this from the IRS I think if if we don't see that it's received within four months of filing that we need to file it again. And so that could cause some problems too, but that's what we've been told. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a bit of a nightmare on administration and there's no relief, even the taxpayer advocate service, which you would typically get that arm of the IRS involved. If issues go beyond a year without an IRS action, they're not taking refund cases. And we've seen that in other tax types too. So they're still not operating the way they should. So there's, there's no backstop, at least at this time, uh, yep. to be able to accomplish that. It's really, it's really unfortunate. There, we've we've also had some some come back. I'm sure you've seen some of those where uh, there could be clerical errors. We've had we've had a couple out of out of hundreds. So it's a it's a low rate. Right. But I know there's others that have gotten frustrated and refundable, non-refundable portions have thrown some of these. Um, but even more than just the clerical pieces of how it was filed there's just been some bad processing. You know, it's a manual form. IRS manually processes it. So yep. they've they've just come back with some that are flat out wrong and we have to refile or try to call. Uh, the calling hasn't been super successful, but no. it's unfortunate. We, we, we had one case that was a mix, a mixed bag, uh, to say the least, where they filed three separate quarters for the same client and we picked up the case afterwards. And it was prepared incorrectly by by the other preparer, but we were we were tasked with, hey, let's let's figure this out, let's fix this. They filed the the three quarters the same wrong way. You know, they didn't didn't divide the refundable correctly. Things were off, but the IRS processed and paid one quarter fully. Mm-hmm. They processed and paid just the refundable portion of another quarter, and the non-refundable is not there. And the third quarter, they just denied it flat out and said, you need to refile. So yep. <laughs> the same issue, same company, three different quarters was handled three different ways by the IRS. And that's that's kind of just the calling card for this program. It's it's uh, such a, a tricky administration uh, and manual administration. It's very, very frustrating and hard to communicate that to clients sometimes that you know, we can only do so much. This is now in the hands of of an IRS that's that's really struggling. Yeah, we're seeing the same thing with a very not a ton, a small percentage, but we're seeing the miscalculation. We're seeing the we've seen where clients have tried to do it themselves. Same thing where we try to fix it after the fact, and we've seen where IRS has lost them. I mean, it's just they've lost them. It's it's gone. Yeah. And so I guess that brings me to a good point. Then 
because of that, and that, again, that's a small portion of the overall credits that are being claimed. But, you know, we've got this rule that says that we have to adjust the income tax return. We have to reduce the expenses by the amount of the credit the year that the wages were used or incurred for the credit. So we have a 2020 credit. We have to adjust the 2020 tax return. The problem with that is taxpayers are going to potentially, you know, you'd have a million dollar Let's, that's a big credit for 2020, but you know, let's assume you have a million dollar credit for 2020. I'm going to increase my taxable income by a million dollars. I pick a 30% bracket. I owe $300,000 in tax on money. If I file that 2020 credit today, I'm not going to get that money for you know nine months. And all of a sudden, I have a $300,000 tax bill. And in addition to that, what if there are mistakes? What if IRS sends us the wrong thing? <laughs> So we're in the middle, and you are too right now, of just advising people you know, what they need to do, when they need to amend their returns, and, and what they do about paying tax. I, I don't know if uh, it's fair to ask me how, what your opinion is on that, or I could go on ours first, whatever you want. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a tough rule. It's one the AICPA lobbied to change, but it's, it's just statutory, a statutory thing uh, that, that the IRS, I don't think, really has the discretion to, to give that relief. It'd be great, great if Congress could do something with that, or at least just say picking it up in a later year is fine. Right. You can, you can avoid some of this nonsense. But no, I, I try to console clients. I try to say, hey, at least they're going to pay you interest on the refund as well. Yep. Uh, so yep. you get some benefit of this money coming later. Uh, and they're paying a decent enough rate there. You know that that doesn't make us feel perfect, but at least this, this should catch up at some point. Uh, you know, worst case scenario, you're sitting and filing, and you don't have the funding, you don't have the ability to pay, and so you're you're on the other end. You're paying some interest until that money arrives to catch up and do that. So I I typically don't recommend that. I I think the IRS is a bad lender. You know, we don't want to be in debt to the IRS if we don't have to be on these things, but a small price to pay in the grand scheme of getting yep. this relief money, yep. right? And that's at where some of these conversations surprisingly get to that point. Ooh, do I really want to claim this money if I'm getting taxed on it? And I'm saying, well, yes. it's not the full dollar <laughs> you're getting, right. but even if it costs some pain and headache in between, you're, you're still coming out way ahead. Significant. Uh, it's hard to be eligible and not have this program be worthwhile, right? You yep. got to have a unique situations. I could count on one hand the number that I've talked to that we'd ended up not moving forward for just a, a a reason that it wasn't practical for them, right? If the numbers get so big so quickly that that's, it, it's it's usually, again, very few that, that it wasn't ended up being worthwhile for. So, and that's that's also why we run into all these problems though with, with people being really aggressive. The numbers get really big really quickly, charge a percentage. Very big. And, and people are hungry to sell them. You know, you'll, you'll be willing to do and say anything to get that next commission on these. And that's unfortunately where a lot of these come to. And then we get in the crosshairs as professionals say, Hey, you said I didn't qualify for this. How do you explain this? And they're, well, why don't I just do this anyway? Because they're going to give me this audit protection. So even if it is a little squirrely, I can, I can just do it anyway. Right. And that's, that's no problem. They'll, they'll protect me down the road and I can just pay it back. So it's, it's an uphill battle that we we are stuck with as advisors, and it's not going away anytime soon. No, it, it, it's definitely not. That, like you said before, I mean, we honestly have 
35 months yet before, just short of 35 months before the final amended returns. And that 35-month time frame is every single one of our 2020 amended 941s are not due until April 15th of 2025. And I didn't know this originally. I, I thought it was three years from the time you'd file the 941. Every 941 the IRS assumed is filed on the April 15th after the tax year. You know, so a 2021 uh, 941s, IRS assumes the statute starts on April 15th of 2022 for all of those. And and I didn't know this was the case. I thought we were going quarter by quarter. And so unless I'm misinterpreting this, um, I looked at right off the IRS website. They even have a video on it that this is when these are due. That's much longer to file all of the 2021s than I expected. So, yeah, this is not going away. We, we got and you know what's going to happen. You, since you're in the middle of tax season, in the in the tax season of 2025 and 2024, you're going to get tons of clients calling you because there's going to be a big marketing push on clients again to take it because now it's about to expire and you're going to be answering questions in the middle of tax season left and right at those two deadlines. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. I'd like to think <laughs> at least we've combed through our own list so well and covered our basis that right. we're, seeing, we're finally seeing that slow down. Uh, yep. you know, we had held off on all our 21s because of the interplay between the programs. You couldn't really maximize them until you got past the third quarter of 2021. So last fall and, and through the beginning of this year was incredibly busy to file these. And now we're we're just down to the stragglers. We're down to the, the late ones and those trickling through. So it's it's been a bit of a reprieve from just that push through all of last right. year on 2020s and then 21s in the fall. So at least... At least I'm seeing some wind down. I, I'd like to hope uh, there aren't too many out there that that are that are all just going to pop up at this point. At least with at least not within our own clients. But right, it's funny you say that. There was there was actually a, another bit of misinformation last fall where there was the push that this program is expiring. Right? Yes. In the third quarter, this program is expiring at the end of the year, and it whipped everybody into a frenzy. I think it was in December that yeah, it was. this is expiring. It, you know, it's, it's the sales tactic. We just want to try to get people to sign on and engage with us. So, hey, this is expiring. You got to do this now. And so I, I got me riled up a little bit because I was actually receiving that from multiple clients, us multiple too. other practitioners around the country that I, I communicate with. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is, this is something you can amend tax returns for for a long time. This is a sales frenzy, but... Whoever that that originated with, it, it made its way out and just spread like wildfire. Oh, <laughs> so it's 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 amazing how disinformation can really be whipping around. It was funny because I was getting that same phone calls nonstop. I'm about to lose this. We got to do it now. <laughs> and it was so often I, I tried to figure out where this was coming from. I found one article written by some association, some, you know, let's say it was the Dental Association or something, that actually quoted that in there. And so I don't know if that's where everybody got it, but that's the only thing I could find that mentioned that that was the deadline. So oh, sorry, Dental Association, it probably wasn't you, so I'm not blaming you, but it was some some associations magazine that uh, I'm actually don't think I have too many people from the Dental Association that's listening to the podcast. So I probably didn't have to apologize <laughs> to them, <laughs> but uh, that was the only thing I could find. And I'm, I'm glad that that one is no longer a, a key uh, issue that we have to deal with. 
All right. So then one last thing I want to touch on before we, we wrap up today. And boy, like you said, we could go for hours, I'm sure. And and then, you know, after we finish recording, maybe you and I will just keep going for hours. But <laughs> but just curious, I did one of my webinars I did in the last two weeks. I uh, Both webinars, actually. I asked people if anybody's seen an audit yet. And because we haven't, and we've filed, I don't, I mean, we've probably filed 5,941Xs. I don't even know. We've filed a lot of them. And we have not seen an audit. Now, I asked on one webinar and I had like 8% of the people respond. It was a polling question that they had. Ended up, I'm pretty sure they were all notices, uh, not audits yeah. that they had seen, <laughs> um, unfortunately. But last week I did another and I asked the same question and one person responded with an email that they have seen an audit. I didn't get all the particulars, but she actually sent me an email yesterday and said, yeah, give me a call. Let's go over this. So I'd like to discuss this with you. So I'm, I, I'm pretty interested to find out what happened in this audit. So, But have you seen anything from an audit standpoint yet? Um, just notices for anything that we've been involved with. I've heard of one now, just through the grapevine from another practitioner for a, a relatively small ERC size, but they're coming, right? I mean, these are going to be these are going to be big. So the IRS, you know, they want to put their effort where the dollars are. Right. These are big dollars. So the return on audit hours is is going to make it a hot area. And you know, some of the things we're talking about, some some of the the nonsense that's going on out there and uh, fast and loose, aggressive positions, you know, these are going to be ripe. If I was an IRS agent, you could just sit back and and run ERCs by industry code, right? Yep. And some of these yep. industries they know aren't shut down or maybe in a state that's very clearly not shut down. You know, it's, it's going to be easy pickings. It uh, is. I might just retire from this role here and go work for the IRS. And, and uh, yeah, if they if they paid me on commission, I'd do fine for a couple of years here because it's it's not that hard you know, to, to try to spot some of these at a high level. So I know I know they're coming and I know also they they had really pushed and, and were training. So they had been preparing for this. And I think it was early through this year that they had been training audit staff. And we had heard a little bit from a, a, an IRS spokesperson about their efforts and training yep. and and preparing for these audits that would come. So uh, the the statute isn't super long for these, so it will be it will be uh, you know pretty concentrated in the next few years. But we do have some. The third and fourth quarter of twenty one is the extended statute that was changed uh, with that last law. So some of these are going to be risk at risk for for much longer, but. At the end of the day, I, it's, it's like most of the work we do. I'm, I'm not so worried about the audits, right? We're only filing these in a way that I'm sleeping yep. at night Agreed. already. So I'm, I'm not necessarily worried about it. I hope they don't happen for our client group just so we don't have to go through the rigmarole of, of uh, providing it all and, and the headaches. But we're, we'll yep. be ready. And, and, and that being said, does the IRS know who filed the 941X or who prepared it? I don't th- – oh, yeah we're signing that. Yeah. I, I think that in the long run could become a positive because, oh, wait, you know, Dan signed this. It's good. Let it go. Or Trimerit signed this. It's good. Let us go. Compared to, you know, ABC company that we know every audit we go yeah. to, we're getting money back. They that, that Maybe that'll happen. That's a very interesting point. Yep. It's unfortunate, though, because I know some of these problematic positions that have come up and that I've got sent to me by other practitioners and talking to them. It's because 
this third party, work with the client, prepared something, they build them for it, they have this number, and then they turn around to the payroll process, yes. turn around to the CPA and say, hey, you file it. Yes, I've seen so that. So some of these probably most problematic outfits aren't putting their names on these at all. Correct. So it could be a little bit harder to track. For, for any that are, that that is something the IRS does. We've seen that with other enforcement actions where they've yep. wrapped in all clients that are related to a certain promoter yep. or uh, uh, another payroll tax scheme that we ran into. We saw that and how they were able to sweep this up. And it's been a, a decade-long enforcement action. So this one, I don't know if it'll get that sophisticated with the t- shortened time frame that they have and such a big pool to go after. And just the fact that some of these some of these are, are just not putting their name on it, right? No, they're, they're not. harder to find them. You're right. I forgot about that. <laughs> they are. Their contract says... We'll give you the numbers. You file the returns. You prepare the returns even, I think, in some cases, which is that alone is is complicated because the 941s have changed. I mean, every quarter is not consistent or the Xs have changed. It, it's You have to change the way that you present these many of the quarters. Yeah, those worksheets change by the different year, right. by even the first and second half of the year here in 21. It, even our seasoned payroll professionals, you know, we got to sit down really be careful with our templates and have multiple levels of review yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just to just to make sure we sort out those problems. So that's why, you know, when I got a phone call yesterday from a client saying, hey, you think it's okay then if mine's pretty simple, if I just file it for myself? No. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's I not. can think of a lot of different reasons. I spent too much time in this program to advise you to just try to do this yourself. Even the 941 alone, don't, don't do it on your own. It, it will be wrong. I can't tell oh, you exactly will. how, but... It's not going to be right. We had a client, one of our one of our people reached out to us just last week and said, hey, you know, haven't heard back. Do you want us to, you know, do this analysis for you? And the CPA was pushing for us to do this, you know, for us to do it, not the client. And the client said, oh, we just ended up doing ourselves some filing it. And I'm like, oh, no, that's not going to end well. But well, I guess we will help them after the fact. I suppose that'll happen. <laughs> but. All right, Dan, we should probably wrap up. But you, like I said, you and I could talk all day. Any any final thoughts? or? Uh... Well, I, I think for for this program, you know, things might be winding down. I, I mean, you brought up tax Twitter, something I've preached there. And if we have professionals and CPAs listening, something I'll preach here as well is, you know, let's let's all help each other. Yep. There's there's no need. There's no need to feel like this is a competition and that it's, you know, that we can't ever refer something out for something unique like this. You know, and, I, and I've pushed that. I've, I've seen it a few times where just smaller shops or solo practices that don't have the capacity. It's been a tough couple of years. They just they just couldn't handle another thing. And and so they've maybe ignored it for their clients or just not given it the full look that someone like you that spent so much time in it, you'd, you'd be able to look through those and see it much better. So I, I've just encouraged people, you know, it's 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 okay to help others. And it's okay if you're not doing these to have, have to partner with someone else to come in and look at it. We do have lots of time to do these things. Uh, and don't call me. I mean, I don't, I don't, we have enough work <laughs> not to say that, but. Well, they can call us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, everybody knows that there's another shop down the street that, that probably needs help and, and talking to them, talking to your competitors. Hey, you know, it, this is something, do you really want? all these emails and all this stuff that's going to come now, all this nonsense from pop-up shops that are selling these things for far too much for all this risk. Do you really want them to be the ones that are in front of your clients over the next few years or somebody local, somebody you trust, somebody that'll agree to partner with you and not try to steal all the work, but just help you with this 
because you can't handle it yourself, right? Those are those are great conversations to have, and we don't always have to be buttonheads as CPAs. I'd, I'd much rather keep seeing the profession helping each other, even across firm lines. That's a that's a healthy thing for all of us. I think we all do better the more we help each other, regardless of. I agree. I agree completely. Uh, so get out there, help, help, help the others. I am. It's like you and I are the same person. I agree completely. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's awesome. Um, all right. So one thing, and I don't want to neglect this one thing I like to do, and then we'll get some contact information from you. But before we do that, you know, you've been, obviously you are a CPA, you're in a CPA firm. You've been extremely busy for uh, quite a while, what, three years of nonstop tax season now, pretty much. Um, but you have to have something you enjoy doing outside of work. What are your outside passions that you get to enjoy? Honestly, the, the thing that sucks up all my time is my four-year-old and six-year-old have a boy and a girl. And boy, tax season wants 150% of you. And the kids also want 150% of you. So trying to make that divide is fun. But we, we get out. We love our trips. We love our day trips, our vacations. So all the time I can spend with my my close family and extended family is is my happiest time spent. Nice. That's a that's a great answer. And then if anybody wants to know anything more about you, I assume Twitter's a spot they could go, but <laughs> what's it what how can they find out more or get in contact with you? Sure. Well, I'm I'm on Twitter, uh, ranting there from time to time at Dan Choden. Trout CPA, of course, you've mentioned is the firm uh, where I'm a partner here. And then uh, some of my articles on ERC have been published there. I've been contributing to Think Outside the Tax Box. Great little subscription service uh, going on a couple years old now. So a great bunch over there that I'd, I'd encourage everybody to check out as well. All right, Dan. Well, I really appreciate you sitting down and doing this. And uh, it, it's great to uh, have a conversation with a fellow ERC geek. So thank you. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you, Randy. Thank you for joining us today on The Unique CPA. You can find all the links and show notes for today's episode, as well as more about TriMerit, at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode where we'll be going beyond compliance into forging new pathways of delivering value to your clients, diversifying your revenue streams, and leading-edge management techniques and styles.